Welcome to the Ancient World podcast. So today we have lots of stuff to go through. Uh, we're going to have a bit of uh, introduction, just briefly, about love and beauty as guiding systems for yourself in your life, in the world, when you're seeking knowledge and trying to study things, and also kind of trying to navigate uh, new areas of life, for example. So that's going to be the start, and then we're going to go through church history as it's described in Dante's comedy. He has, uh, and then to show the the uh, the power of symbolic language, because he's uh, he's describing this as seven different steps, all with visual, uh, well, both beauty and also kind of um, uh, grammatic way of describing it. And then we're going to end with just the ending of Purgatory again, because it's uh, it's such a uh, inspiring and <laughs> and nice ending and, and uh, kind of setting up for the third book. But the first uh, topic will then be beauty and love as guiding systems. Um, we've seen some conversations lately where this became a topic and then how um, it's almost like to understand something properly. If you, if you love the topic or the, or, or the area of, of knowledge, you will understand something better and deeper. And it's also something that you might not be able to understand something fully if you don't really like it or love it. Uh, there's something like just adding a dimension to it when you have the, the, the emotion that makes you see more, but also perhaps see it more properly. <laughs> like the, the image you're getting or the, the sense you get is, is more right. Um, so that's... Um, we, we were reminded also of um, the definition of love from Aristotle. So Aristotle is defining love not as an emotion or a feeling, but he's describing the, the function of it. And he says love is that which brings things into its natural place. So if you're attracted to something, it might, but not always, but it might be just your nature telling you that this is what is right for you and for your nature, and it's just guiding you through that. So that is the love part. And then the beauty part would be also that this is a bit of Plato also, that something that is true will appear to you as beautiful. So if you a line of thinking that you think is beautiful is also because you sense that it's true. So, uh, and then one little uh, thing to note about the love as a guiding system. You can also think about Hesiod when he talks about the, the, the Greek writer of the Theogony, when he talks about the muses and inspiration, this is always useful to have in the back of your mind when you're trying to use emotion as kind of guiding you. In general, this is what the muses are telling Hesiod. Because they, so he's out shepherding the sheep. And then, uh, so he says there, one day, that they taught Hesiod glorious song while he was shepherding his lambs under holy helicon, the mountain. And the goddesses says to him, uh, shepherds of the wilderness, wretched things of shame, mere bellies. And here he comes. We know how to speak many false things as though they were true, but we know when we will to utter true things. So this is how the Greek, the way of looking at inspiration and imagination and intuition and emotion 
in general that it could say things, false things to you as it was true. But when they want to, they will say the true things. So you always have to kind of evaluate. This is the same like if you... It's not everything you, <laughs> everything you love is necessarily the right thing for you. But sometimes it is. And it's also, uh, it's, it's the thing like sometimes you should follow your heart, but not always. Okay, so that was the first part. And then we're going to move on to uh, the topic about symbolism and church history as uh, explained through Dante. So... Uh, I'll just, just start reading it. This is one of the most astonishing passages in the Purgatory. This is the 32nd canto. And he, he uh, this is Dante's judgment on the church and the papacy up until his current time, which is in the early 1300s. And he's a very, very strong, uh, he's attacking the, the church strongly, as we will see. So this is then what he's being told towards the end of the Canto 32. Uh, so now, so the, the chariot, we talked about this before, the, there's a pageant and then the chariot is a symbol of the church. So after the pageant has moved along, you have the chariot and Beatrice and then the tree in the Garden of Eden. And then he's being told, now for the good of sinners in your world, observe the chariot well and what you see put into writing when you have returned. So this is one of those moments where you're reminded as a reader that Dante is, is, is talking indirectly to you as, as the writer and saying that I am experiencing this and I will come back and, and write the story later. So then uh, this, uh, that was Beatrice and then Dante says, I obediently, devoutly, at the feet of her commands, gave mind and eye to satisfying her. So then this, the story starts here. No bolt of lightning flashing through dense cloud shot from the farthest region of the sky has ever struck with such velocity as moved the bird of Jove when they, who then swooped down and through the tree tearing off newborn leaves, rendering the bark, destroying all the blooms. With his full force he struck the chariot which staggered like a ship caught in a storm careened by waves, tilting starboard and port. This is the first step. So this means, and now we're getting into kind of what the symbolic language or the, the symbolic layers can open for you in your imagination. So the bird of Job, Job is Jupiter. The bird of Jupiter is the eagle. So when the eagle is striking the chariot, this is the Roman Empire striking down at the church. And what he means with this is the, the persecution of the Christians, especially from Nero, the Emperor Nero in the Roman Empire. So he was the emperor from 54 to 68 AD, all the way until uh, Diocletian in 284 to 305 AD. So you have like 250 years, more or less, with uh, like mass persecution of the Christians. So this is the, the eagle striking down at the church. And the second step, into the cradle of the glorious car, I saw a fox leap up. So lean it seemed, the food it fed on had no nourishment. My lady, 
made it turn and run away as fast as its weak skin and bones could go, accusing it of foul abominations. So this fox is a symbol of the heresies, especially with the Gnostics at the time. Uh, and then it's also described as <laughs> it was lean, the food it fed on had no nourishment. And this is Dante's opinion that those uh, internal heresies had not the same substance. It didn't have the true spiritual nourishment. And therefore it was like a skinny fox. And fox is also kind of deceiving. So, so that's the second step. And then the third one. Once more the eagle swooped down through the tree, this time into the framework of the car, to shed some of its golden feathers there. Like sorrow pouring from a grieving heart, a voice from heaven was heard. My little ship, oh what ill-fated cargo you must bear. So this means, so the eagle again is the empire, and then to shed the golden feathers is just the wealth that was given to the church. Uh, so probably there it's referring to uh, the, what's called the donation of uh, Constantine, the emperor, who gave a huge gift to the papacy. And that started the corruption of the church. And the voice from heaven, that means St. Peter, my little ship, that's, so St. Peter founded the Christian church. So he's talking about this, his little ship. So that's number three. And number four is, Then I saw the ground between the wheels opening up. A dragon issued forth, driving its tail up through the chariot. And then, as a wasp withdrawing its sting, that thing drew back its poison tail. Tearing away part of the floor, gloating, it wandered off. So this step is less certain what it means symbolically. But the dragon is usually a symbol of Lucifer and is probably referring to one of the schisms when the church is challenged by other belief systems or pagan religions. Uh, and so when it goes through the floor, it means the, the floor of the chariot is the foundation of the church. So it just uh, kind of cracks up through it, making some damage and then it's withdrawing its sting, which is likely a hint that this might happen again. This is a, is a constant threat to the church. And now we know to number five of the seven steps. The rest, like fertile soil left for thick weeds to thrive on, grew a rich cover of plumes granted with good intentions, it would seem. And all the chariot with both its wheels and pole as well was overgrown with them in less time than it takes to heave a sigh. So the plumes represent wealth and power. This is likely referring to uh, how uh, Pepin and uh, Charlemagne, the French king in 775 AD, is also transferring more wealth and power to the church and effectively changing the church into becoming a medieval state. And this also lasted into the current times for Dante. So it's overgrown with the plumes, it's just, it's just material wealth 
<laughs> taking over the, the chariot. Okay, and then number six. This, this changed. The holy shrine began to sprout heads from all parts. Three on the chariot's pole and one from each of his four corners grew. The three were horned like oxen, but the four had but one horn upon each of their heads. No one has ever seen a monster like it. This is the, the second part of, of this whole story that's not fully clear what he's referring to. Uh, the seven like monster heads here could be the seven deadly sins. It could be a, a, like a general degeneration of the church through corruption and, uh, yeah, and changing into this material power. It could also be that uh, around the year 1000, the Pope was appointing seven electors to choose the Holy Roman Emperor, which was also seen as, a, as changing the church into a... far away from being, being a church, the papacy was becoming more of a, a, like a earthly power in this state. And then the seventh is also a big one in historical terms. Seated thereon securely, like a fort high on a hill, I saw an ungirt prostitute, casting bold sluttish glances all around, acting as if someone might take her from him. A giant, I saw, standing there by her side. From time to time, the two of them would kiss. But then she turned her roving lustful eyes on me. Her lover, in a fit of rage, beat her ferociously from head to foot. Then, furious with jealousy, the giant ripped loose the monster, dragging it away far off into the woods until the trees blocked from my sight the prostitute and that strange beast. This is the long, longest image, the seventh step. So the chariot is the church, the prostitute is the papacy, and the giant is the king of France. So again, like if, you, if someone tries to read the comedy of Dante without having some, some commentary, this is impossible to, <laughs> to understand. But it's very um, yeah, mapped onto concrete history and is full of personal opinion from Dante in his view of, of the king of France and the papacy here. So it's pointing to, it's most, the king of France is most likely Philip III, who was the king from, who lived from 1285 to 1314. And the kissing between the giant and the prostitute is the mutual interest from the, with the king of France and the papacy. And then when the, the giant is taking away the prostitute, this is referring to... So the, the pope at that time was uh, Boniface VIII. So when the giant takes the papacy into the woods, this is referring to the siege. So you have King Philip... In 1303 AD, uh, there's a siege by the king, and they capture the Pope. And then the Pope dies quickly, and then the next one, Clement V, he then moves the papacy to France, to Avignon in France. All of this is real history. So that is, well, he takes the church, he takes the papacy, the giant, the king of France, and moves it to Avignon. And this is in 1305, and then so Dante wrote a comedy between 1302 to 1321 when he passed away. So this is very recent history. It's kind of current events for Dante. And then, but uh, for 
the person in the story. The, the comedy is set fictionally in the year 1300. So then 1305 is a bit of like it's prophetic in, in the, from the viewpoint of the story. And that's also why when the giant is dragging it into the woods and he can't see it, it's because it kind of goes into the future. Uh, and then the last uh, point that he's making, when, when then the prostitute or the papacy, <laughs> it's kind of hard not to see the humor in how Dante is describing <laughs> the papacy and kind of his own feelings about this. It's also worth remembering that Dante was a, was a big political figure in Florence, the city-state of Florence, for a while, but he was uh, thrown out of the city into exile in 1302, uh, and he never returned again. So he also has this anger towards uh, yeah, the political powers in, in Europe at the time. So, but when he says that, uh, then the papacy is turning <laughs> her roving, lustful eyes on me, as he says, this could mean different things. It could be that Dante, the pilgrim, is just like a normal person who is uh, a believer, a Christian in that time, and then when the papacy is trying to look back at the people, uh, <laughs> that's kind of when uh, the, the giant just rips her away. So he could symbolize just an individual. It could also symbolize the Italian people, since the papacy was the move out of Italy and into France. So, and it could be a bit of both also. So that's, in short, the church history from over the last 1300 years, as described by Dante. Uh, this is also the longest canto in the whole comedy. It's uh, 160 verses. And it's, um, it's just one of many examples of how a clearly opinionated Dante is as a writer and how he, <laughs> the power of writing, how he is putting this into eternity in some sense. Like, this is his view of the events. And it's an, a reminder of like the church, the Catholic church, <laughs> which has constantly through history been in crisis and in scandal and in, <laughs> in the cor like being corrupt. So this is kind of <laughs> almost a normal state of things. Okay, so that was the church history and the Canto 32. And we're going to end today with a part of the, well, one of the most beautiful passages in the Purgatory, the second book, which is when he wraps up the Garden of Eden. So the last six cantos of the Purgatory is the earthly paradise and the Garden of Eden. So after this, this whole scene with the chariot and going through the stages and being, being carried away into the woods, uh, they have this mourning, like the grief over the, the fate of the church. But then they start uh, preparing for the third book, The Paradise and the Ascent into the Heavens. So Beatrice is, has now become his guide, meaning the spiritual life, the emotional life, the love. So she turns to him and starts talking. But then Dante can't quite understand. So he asks her, But your desired words, why do they fly so high above my mind? The more I try to follow them, the more they soar from sight. She said, why do they? So that you may come truly to know that school which you have followed and see how well its doctrine follows mine. 
Also, that you may see that mankind's ways are just as far away from those divine as earth is from the highest spinning sphere. This is one of the steps here to prepare him for, like mentally and spiritually, and to reframe the story. So when she says the school which you have followed, she's talking about philosophy, also Aristotle, the Greek philosophy. And how well is the doctrine follows mine? She is then representing, in some sense, revelation or theology and the spiritual uh, scent they're going, they're starting now. And then she's making the point that, like, so he can understand the difference between the, the earthly and the divine, and how far away the divine is from mankind. He says the earth is from the highest spinning sphere. So in the paradise, you go through nine different spheres like layers into the heavens. And the highest one is the, the primum mobile, the one that's uh, putting all the other spheres into motion. And the last little bit is, so you have two rivers in the, in the Garden of Eden. So it's uh, Lethe and Juno. So Lethe is the first one. You have to go through the river of Lethe to cleanse yourself from your sins or from your emotional memory of your sins. And then at the end, you go through Yuno, which is the river that strengthens all the memory of the good deeds and the good in the world. So, but here before us is the stream Yuno. And then he says, Reader, if I had space to write more words, I'd sing at least in part of that sweet draught which never could have satisfied my thirst. But now I have completed every page planned for my poem's second canticle. I am checked by the bridle of my art. So he is just addressing us as readers, and he doesn't have any more space now. It's the last canto of the last page of the, of the purgatory, and he, there's no more space to, to elaborate on the, the feeling of going through the, the river of Juno. And then he says, From those holiest waters I returned to her, reborn, a tree renewed in bloom with newborn foliage, immaculate, eager to rise, now ready for the stars. So all the three books end on the word stars. And now he is fully reborn spiritually and fully cleansed. This points back to the beginning of the second book, where they come out of the side of Mount Purgatory and then they meet Cato, which is the, the guardian of the, of the mountain. And he's the symbol of the uh, stoicism or kind of the, the uh, kind of moral character in the Roman Empire uh, as a historical person and he tells Virgil to take Dante and clean his face properly fully so there's no no traces of dirt left meaning no no sins <laughs> and, and fully reborn spiritually so the ending series is having a little loop back to that now the, the work is done and then they are ready for the stars, which is the, the aim for the whole book from the beginning. To have the journey towards the light that he sees in the beginning, and which is then symbolic for the, the journey towards divinity and through the reaching paradise. Okay, so we're going to stop it there, and um, we will continue with uh, some highlights from Dante and other reflections on Greek mythology and other parts of the, the whole ancient world for inspiration and just for learning. And uh, 
hope some of this was interesting. And uh, as always, thank you so much for listening. Have a great day.